1208. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Tough weekend for Wisconsin sports fans. Bucks go down with a whimper on Saturday night. Big win on, uh, you know, big win on Friday, but then uh, uh, just kind of comes to a crashing halt. Very, very unfortunate. Um, went on Thursday, I guess, is when they won the game. But uh, now the question is, what happens? You know, moving forward. Um, obviously, I think they're going to end up with a new coach, probably a bigger name coach, and all sorts of questions. What do you do with Jabari Parker? Do you re-sign him? Um, don't know those answers, but the Bucks have some issues, especially as they get ready to launch a new season, coming off the season where I think most people objectively would, would agree that they underperformed expectations. And um, you know, how do they turn around? And how do they sell tickets? And how do you convince the ticket buying public that hey, they're going to be better this year than they were last year? Brewers, oh my gosh, they go to Chicago and lose four games in a row, score two runs in four games. Oh, oh. I mean, here's the bottom line of this right now. And this pains me to say it as a Brewers fan. Um, right now, oh, I don't know what it's going to be at the end of the season, but right now the Cubs are a better team. Cubs took care of business. They've won, what, seven of eight games against the Brewers. Brewers have lost 13 games overall, seven of which are to the Cubs. And um, this, I don't know if it's room for panic or not, but the reality is the Cubs are a better team right now. And at the end of the year, Brewers have to figure out how they can overcome that. And that's, I guess, the challenge for David Stearns and Craig Council. You know, what players can you bring in that reverses this? Because otherwise, it's going to be a tough year if you can't beat the team that you have to beat to win the NL Central. Ugly four-game sweep in Chicago. Uh, they're in Cincinnati. They're going to be more competitive, I would assume, against Cincinnati. You can hear the game here on WTMJ tonight. Then there's the Packers draft. Um, a lot of national commentators think the Packers accomplished what they needed to accomplish. Color me skeptical, but we'll wait and see as it all plans out. So that was the world of sports. We start off today like we start off every show. Three big things. Story number one, over the weekend, and you have probably heard these accounts, the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And it's always been, um, it's one of these things where the beautiful people in Washington get together. They bring in a comedian for jokes, et cetera, et cetera. This year, they hired a woman named Michelle Wolf, whom I guess is, you've never heard of her. She was a writer, is a writer for um, Comedy Central. She writes for the... the, the um, she writes for The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, and she's got apparently her own show coming up on Netflix. And she does this stand-up comedy routine, and I say that in quotation marks. It goes about 20 minutes. And I think almost everybody in the room and most people watching felt that if there were any lines that still remain, she crossed those lines. It was It was a brutal comedy bit where she spent 20 minutes attacking Donald Trump, attacking Republicans, attacking members of the Trump administration, including, you know, people who were in in the room. Um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, White House press secretary, um, who's sitting on the dais. So this woman says, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, for example, she's an Uncle Tom, but for white women who disappoint other white women. Then she decides to make fun of her appearance. She says her smoky eye makeup is made from the ashes of burnt facts. Okay, so we're now criticizing 
the woman's makeup as she sits there. She called Ivanka Trump as helpful to a woman as an empty box of tampons. She labeled Kellyanne Conway, the president's counselor, as a liar and said, if a tree falls in the woods, how do we get Kellyanne under that tree? And and that's just some of the stuff that I can repeat again on, on the radio. It was brutal to the point that you even had a lot of the Washington left in the media kind of saying, okay, well, maybe maybe this has gone too far because the attacks were mean-spirited, they were petty, and they were extremely, extremely personal in a way that you, you typically don't see in these sort of things. A- again, we're making fun of the way, you know, some woman puts on her makeup. Oh, I don't like that smoky-ash stuff. All right, so this has caused a lot of outrage, including suggestions about whether or not they should cancel the event. For his part... Donald Trump was in Washington Township, Michigan, holding a rally. And, you know, he's now pointing to, hey, I, I would much rather been where I was than going to this sort of thing. And he's holding this up as an example of, again, the incredible media bias that exists. Now, my take on this might surprise you to an extent. Um, I, first of all, I, as somebody who makes a living under the First Amendment, I think she has every right to say what she said. I think it was in extremely poor taste. And that's even within the limited. I understand comedy is all about pushing boundaries and stuff. But at the same time, the type of jokes or the type of presentation you give at the White House Correspondents' Dinner might be different than, you know, if you're doing the 1 a.m. show at some comedy club somewhere. And to me, it's all about time and place. Does she have a right to do this? Absolutely. Um, I think her doing this was her effort to try to get her 15 minutes of fame. And, of course, you know she's going to appear on now. She'll be on Jon Stewart. She'll be on these different shows, and, and everybody will be praising her about, well, you know, you really showed up those Republicans. The larger point isn't whether she had the right to do it or not. But to me, the larger point is what this says about the media. And again, for people who want to defend the mainstream media and try to pretend that there's no bias or things like that, I think an event like this, which revels in, again, mean-spirited and very, very hateful commentary under the guise of commentary directed at, under the guise of comedy, directed at not just President Trump, but the people who work for President Trump, I think that really reflects more, again, on these so-called journalists. And it, it, it tells you that anybody who thinks that there's not an incredible left-wing bias that is in the media, all you have to do is look at this event and you recognize there would never have been anything of the equivalent you know, during Barack Obama's tenure or Bill Clinton's tenure. There might have been some comedian up there who might have made a couple jokes, but you would have not had the vicious attacks on members of the Clinton administration or members of the Obama administration. Um, you wouldn't have had jokes about the way, you know, um, Eric Holder appeared. This is the double standard that exists. And it's, in my opinion, the reason why so many people have, number one, a distrust, and number two, an absolute hatred for what you get from the mainstream media. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there bias in the media? And is events, do events like this simply fuel 
not that perception, but that reality. Can you imagine something similar have happened three years ago with the same sort of vitriol and personal attack? And my answer is it wouldn't have happened. It just would not have happened. But because it's Donald Trump, because it's conservatives, anything appears to be fair game. And that's from the journalists and the people the journalists hire to entertain, and I use that word in quotation marks, at this event. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. Is this more evidence of just the raging media bias? And in this, is this one of the reasons why so many people just don't trust and don't believe what they are hearing from the mainstream media. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 1217. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, by, by any stretch of the imagination, this White House Correspondents' Dinner the other night had this comedian named Michelle Wolf. It, it was it was a debacle. Um, she launched into a 19-minute attack, most of which centered on President Trump, and the most vicious things were directed at some of the people that worked for President Trump. Yes, there were a handful of jokes that poked fun at Hillary and the news media, but but it was clearly a Trump attack. And if people don't want to believe that, well, you've got the blinders on. And I think this is one of the things where even a lot of people in the room thought it went way too far. And that's fine. I'm not saying she doesn't have a right to do it. I think it was an inappropriate audience for this, but largely it also demonstrates the inherent bias that is in the mainstream media. You wouldn't have seen something like this. Here's a text. If a comedian poked fun of Obama at the White House like correspondence dinner like this, they would be called a racist. Absolutely. No question about it. Let's talk to Mike on the northwest side. Hi, Mike. Hey, uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Uh, my, my thoughts are it's undeniably an attack on uh, Republicans and Trump and the media bias is un- undeniable. My uh, idea is that uh, Amazon could buy a network with an unbiased political opinion, just stating the facts and have the people decide and just have it go that way. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I think, I mean, thanks to call, Mike. I, I, I mean, I think if you look at the success of Fox News, which clearly swings to the right, you, you understand that there is a, that there are people out there that don't like being mocked, they don't like being made fun of, that they still have some degree of standards. And what they're about is they are looking for the alternatives, you know, to, you know, what passes as, you know, entertainment among the liberal elitists who, you know, are, are on the coasts and who are in the mainstream media. And this was just a classic example of it. And I, I candidly, I think a lot of people who were in attendance there are uncomfortable with this whole thing going, gosh, you know, we're supposed to be journalists. And here you have the, this vicious sort of attack, including extremely personal attacks, you know, being lobbed at, well, the first lady being lobbed at, you know, members of the Trump administration, including some who are sitting there on, on the dais. You know, I'm going to make fun of, of your makeup. Huh. All right. That's that's real interesting. Um, gee, I thought if you engage in that kind of stuff, we're, we're supposed to be upset about that. But I guess if you're a liberal Democrat um, or a liberal comedian, you know, anything goes. And look, don't get me wrong. She's got the right to do whatever show she wants. She, she does. But the question is, who hires her? And the, the White House correspondents, the folks who did this, they knew what they were getting when they hired her. 
they made this decision to do this. And I mean, I think it says more about the organization than it necessarily does about the no class exhibited by this performer. Joe in Butler. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes. Hi. Hi, Joe. Yeah, you you didn't mention IMIS and that IMIS attacked President Clinton and Hillary. You didn't mention a year's a right wing attack that Bill Clinton was a murderer and all. So Well, okay, but we're uh, we're talking yeah, about we're talking about something that is sanctioned by the White House correspondent. First of all, I don't consider Don Imus to be a conservative I, I commentator. Was, I was at the White House correspondent dinner. And then just a few months ago, you were mentioning how liberals can't laugh at a joke when President Obama constantly went after different people. Your take was liberals can't take a joke. Mike, well, look, let me be real consistent. Right. No, 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 wait a second. I, I, right, I, this, I, see, this is the, like, the, the talking point. It's this evil right-wing radio. Let me be real clear here. Um, what happened, I think, on Saturday night completely crossed the line. Does she have a right to do it? Absolutely. Yes. Have we lost a sense of humor collectively? Yeah. You watch that 19-minute performance sanctioned by the White House correspondents, and I think anybody objectively would say, you know, this is inappropriate for time and place. This is mean-spirited. It is um, personal to an uncomfortable degree. And, of course, the people that hired her knew they were getting that. Yes, do I think we have collectively lost our sense of humor? Yeah, but there wasn't anything funny about what happened on Saturday night. And, again, believe me, I think she's got the right to do it. I'm not arguing she doesn't have a right to do her comedy bit. I just think it was interesting that this is what was selected the journalists, the people who are supposed to objectively cover things, this is what they chose to put on there to the point that you also you look at the audience reaction, and I think even some of the left-wing journalists who are in that audience are going, oh, this is probably crossing the line. Nathan in Milwaukee. Nathan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Nathan. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, just wanted, wanted to say first off, you know, I agree with you 100%. You're, you're spot on with this. But I, I just wanted to add one thing to it, and I think it's a good illustration of the the hypocrisy in the American political dialogue, if you will. Because yeah, I know that you know there wouldn't have had a comedian up there trashing Obama a few years back, but you know, in the hypothetical situation that happened, the reaction from you know all the political pundits would almost be the opposite. The the right would be all oh, you know they did just joke, chill out, and then the the left would be you know up in arms. And I think it's just the uh, the sad times we live in. Well, it is. I mean, thanks. I guess. See, the point is, though, I, I think that there are, I, I think that there are, are standards that are, are there, and there's lines that you end up crossing. And I, I, I mean, I do think she crossed it. Not to say that she doesn't have a right to do it. I mean, she again, she's got the comedy bit, but there is a time and a place for everything. And I do think that the standards have have now changed. I, I think it's fair game that you know. Um, I think that what you see is apparently anything goes when it comes to criticizing Donald Trump or forget even Trump. I mean, forget the president. I mean, you've got the press secretary that's sitting there and you're going to, you know, attack the press secretary. Now, the caller is talking about Don Imus. And I, I don't 
I, I was never a fan of Don Imus, and Don Imus certainly wasn't a conservative talk show host. He they they invited him to uh, do this dinner thing in nineteen ninety six, and he apparently crossed the lines by making fun of President Clinton's extramarital affairs and Hillary Clinton's legal problems. Well. That's nothing compared to what happened on Saturday night. And you know what? You know who the big winner of all this is? The big winner is Donald Trump. The big winner is President Trump because, number one, he didn't go to be a part of this. And number two, he gets to correctly point out, look what is going on in the bubble of Washington. This is the way that the people in Washington, the liberal elite, this is how they view stuff that's going on in the rest of the country. And I tell you, it it's it is a problem. I, I think it's going to be a problem for Democrats. Everybody talks about there being this, you know, blue wave that's coming. Well the reality is I, I think what happened is sooner or later you're going to get a backlash from the conservatives. You're going to say, you know, we're we're tired of being made fun of by these liberal elites and you know we're going to show up and we're going to be motivated to come out and vote as well. And if that, in fact, happens, things like what happened Saturday may be one of the turning points. It's 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Brewers' road trip continues as they hope for some regal treatment in the Queen City. Jeff and Lane are on the call as the Brewers take on the Reds. Our Brewers' coverage starts at 535 tonight. Need to stop this four-game losing streak and score a couple runs. What, two runs in four games? Against the Chicago Cubs, not that good. All right, Tom Brokaw, 78 years old, um, the the dean of NBC News. Um, he finds himself as the latest person caught up in the, the Me Too web. Here's what happened if you haven't followed it. There's this woman named Linda Vester, um, 1989. So 99, 2009, going on 30 years ago, she was hired at NBC News um, and was in training to be a foreign correspondent. Um, um, ultimately, she did some work in the Middle East, um, got a job at NBC, went to the Tampa affiliate to get more on-air experience, and then she, she, was, in, um, she was in the Gulf, reporting during the Gulf War. Um, returned to the United States and um, got a job on Weekend Today in 1993. Now, this is what she says in a series of interviews given with the Washington Post and Variety magazine late last week. She says um, she was in the Denver Bureau of NBC. There was a conference room, lots of people in there. She says Tom Brokaw, now this would be 1993-ish, Tom Brokaw enters through the door grabs me from behind, and proceeds to tickle me up and down the waist. I jumped a foot, and I looked at a guy who was the senior editor of Nightly News, and his jaw was hanging open. Nobody acted like anything wrong was happening, but I was humiliated. I didn't know Brokaw other than to say hello in the hall. Okay, so she says, we're in this conference room, and he tickled me from behind. She then says, and goes on to say that she had two encounters with with Brokaw. One was in January of 1994. She was in New York on assignment for Weekend Today. And long story short, she says that Brokaw came over to her hotel room and ended up starting to, you know, hit on her. She turned him down and, you know, sent him 
uh, away. Okay, that's what happened. Um, she says her story is he grabbed me behind as he grabbed me behind my neck and tried to force me to kiss him. I was shocked to feel the amount of force of his full strength on me. I broke away, said I don't want to do it. So that's her story. Um, once in a hotel room in January of 1994, and then she says subsequently she was in London um, in May of 1995. He was over there anchoring uh, nightly news from London, um, and he shows up at her. Uh, let's see. Um, it was at the apartment, right? She shows. He shows up at his apartment. Um, comes in, starts bragging about himself, um, and then tries to force her to kiss him, just like what happened in 1994. So that's her story, and she's gone public with it. Tom Brokaw has responded in an extremely uh, aggressive faction, uh, fashion. Um, you know, he started off by sending the, this note to various colleagues. And um, then the, the note has become public where, let me see if I can read how it started off. He essentially says, I, I've been, I have been perp walked in front in the, you know, in the Washington Post. He says that um, I, this just flat out didn't happen. I have been ambushed and perp walked in this story. He says, this woman was given a free hand to try to destroy all that I have achieved with my family, my NBC career, my writing, and my citizenship. He says, um, yeah, we we met, we, we did meet twice. This was a woman who was struggling with her career. She would reach out to me from time to time asking for career help. He said, yeah, I, I did see her in New York. I did see her in London. She was asking me to try to help her get a job. I actually introduced her. I helped set her up with an interview with Roger Ailes, who was running Fox News. Um, and, and she actually did work for Fox News for a couple of years. He said, yes, I, I did go over to her apartment. I, I didn't grab her. I didn't try to force her to kiss me. Um, as we were parting, I, I might have kissed her on the cheek, but it wasn't any sort of sexual assault. She'd never made any sort of complaints to me or NBC News. And then all of a sudden, I pick up the Washington Post and Variety, you know, 20 30 years later, and I see, you know, this claim has been made, that it just flat didn't happen. The other interesting thing that's happened is a number of other women, and over 60 women, including some very left-leaning women, like Rachel Maddow, who all worked with Tom Brokaw over the years, they've come out with a letter saying, hey, we work with Tom Brokaw, and we never, you know, he was nothing but, you know, a perfect colleague and, and a gentleman around us. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As a practical matter, it's probably, you know, you're never going to know. As a practical matter, you're never going to know what happened, what's the truth of these allegations made about stuff that occurred 25 years ago. You're, you're just, you're, you're not. Um, she's not alleging, you know, sexual assault in like a Bill Cosby sort of sense, although she is alleging that the guy tried to force himself on her and she says, you know, she rebuffed it. But now 25 years later, you know, she's coming forward saying this is what he did. There's not any real corroboration other than apparently, you know, she says she told a couple of her friends about this after it happened. So here is my question. What do we make of this? And how do we treat now 78-year-old Tom Brokaw Moving forward, is he to be treated as yet another Harvey Weinstein, a Matt Lauer, or is this a guy who maybe is being unjustly accused 
as he, you know, enters the latter stages of his life after a arguably very distinguished career. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How do you judge Tom Brokaw moving forward? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. I'll tell you how I come down on this as well. It's 1242. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, I, I, I don't know Tom Brokaw. No love lost one way or the other. But he's sitting there saying, all right, I'm 78 years old. I have never been subject to this. And, and all of a sudden, there's this woman that's coming forward who says, 23 years ago, I, I suggested we have an affair and she rebuffed me when I, I tried to kiss her. Now, this is what he says exactly. He says, um, I, let's see, um, he said, she would, she sought me out often for informal meetings, including the one she describes in a New York hotel room. Um, she was asking for clear career advice. Um, I should not have gone, but I emphatically did not verbally and physically attack her or suggest an affair in language right out of pulp fiction. Um, I am facing a long list of grievances from a former colleague who left NBC News angry that she had failed in her pursuit of stardom. She has unleashed a torrent of unsubstantiated criticism and attacks on me more than 20 years after I opened the door for her in a job at Fox News. As I remember our meeting in New York, she was at one end of the sofa, I was at the other. It was late, and I had been up for 24 hours. As I got up to leave, I may have leaned over for a perfunctory goodnight kiss, but my memory is that it happened at the door, on the cheek, no clenching her neck. That move that she so vividly describes is not who I am, not in high school, not in college, not thereafter. It is 4 a.m. on the first day of my new life as an accused predator in the universe of American journalism. I was ambushed and then perp-walked across the pages of the Washington Post and Variety as an avatar of male misogyny, taken to the guillotine and stripped of any honor and achievement I had earned in more than half a century of journalism and citizenship. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know what happened between Tom Brokaw and this woman 23, 24, 25 years ago. I, I do think that this is one of the scary things about, you know, where we are nowadays, though, that you have people who can come forward and make these these various claims. And, of course, it, it ends up Tom Brokaw from now on, I mean, he's always going to be viewed against this prism of this woman who says, well, he made these unwanted advancements to me. Not that he sexually assaulted me, nothing apparently happened, but that he tried to force himself on me during these two meetings. She's never, we're never going to be able to get at the truth. She's never going to be held accountable. And I guess I sort of look at this thing and say, all right, to to what end? What what do we, what does this particular thing accomplish? It's not as if you have somebody who's, now, Tom Brokaw is retired. It's not as if there's somebody who's still in the workplace that is making decisions. And, again, you've got 60-some women who've worked with him who said, you know, we never saw any sort of behavior like this. So this does appear to be the outlier, unlike a situation like Bill Cosby, where you have, you know, dozens and dozens of women who say, yeah, this was a sexual assault, and he did it in the same fashion. I guess the question becomes, what what do allegations at this point in time, what what do they accomplish? It's not like a Matt Lauer situation where, again, you have somebody who, who's still on, on the air. And I understand Tom Brokaw occasionally does stuff, but, I mean, his day has passed. He's 78 years old. I, I don't know who to believe in this situation. If Tom Brokaw 
just like Matt Lauer, if Tom Brokaw had been acting in an inappropriate fashion and had been a, a dog like this, you would have anticipated that there would be dozens and dozens of women that the Washington Post and Variety would have been able to find. I mean, it's just, if you're going to behave like that, you would think that there'd be a a ton of other people out there advancing the same sort of claims. And despite what I think is probably an extensive investigation, the Washington Post and Variety have um, this woman and one um, intern, I think, who refuses to be publicly identified, who said, well, he kind of grabbed at my chest one day. And, And that's... For somebody who's been, you know, in the NBC newsroom for 40 or 50 years. Let's talk to Harry in McGuanago. Harry, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Uh, Hi. Yeah, my uh, call on take on this is that it's too early to tell uh, unless other women, you know, step forward. Right. Like Bill Cosby. If you, I mean, if it was one woman with Bill Cosby, that'd be a different story. But, you know, you've got 25 or 30 women all saying the same story. Same thing true with Harvey Weinstein. Of course, that type of stuff happened. In this case, so far at least, there, there's not, there are not women rushing forward to say that, this, that they were also victims. Well, that's what I mean. Uh, uh, so far, uh, it's just, again, too early to tell uh, what's going on. Uh, you know, there's a lot of women that, of course, uh, as we see, uh, are looking for being in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, money. Um, hush money, whatever the case may be, um, you never know uh, what they're... Or, or just, or attention. I mean, th- thanks for, or attention. Now, I mean, I don't think that this, I don't think that anything in her story would rise to the level of a crimin- of criminality to begin with. Um, any any chance for a lawsuit is probably long gone um, as far as civil stuff. So you might say, okay, what what does she have to gain by coming forward now? Well, okay, I guess that's the that becomes the question. But at the same time, now th- there is this Me Too movement there, and I and look and I, I applaud this. I mean, obviously, you know, you you have to be able to say in a workplace that you know women and men you know, should be free from sexual harassment. You know, you shouldn't have to live under that yoke. It, it doesn't sound like Tom Brokaw destroyed this woman's career. I just, I, I think sometimes, you know, especially with these allegations that are unsubstantiated, unreported, and really, really old, I think you need to, you know, take a step back and, and avoid a rush to judgment. If Tom Brokaw behaved in a boorish fashion back in 1994 in a hotel room in New York City, well, okay, that that's that's on it. He should not have done it. Does this taint his legacy? Well, I think you have to stay tuned. And um, I can understand to the extent that if it didn't happen or it didn't happen the way he remembers it, I understand why, you know, you wake up and you find yourself dragged across the front pages of the Washington Post as another one of these examples of, uh, again, this is Harvey Weinstein um, light. I understand why you would be unhappy. I don't know which way to come down on this. I think in this case, though, the jury is has got to still be out on this. Let's see if more women come forward. If they don't, I think that maybe you want to side with Brokaw if they do. Well, okay, maybe Tom Brokaw deserves to get the Matt Lauer treatment. It's 1253. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
1256, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two former UW Oshkosh leaders are facing felony charges. Never a good thing. In connection with the bankruptcy of the school's private foundation, the employee who blew the whistle is talking, and he joins John and Melissa at 334 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Well, the, the caravan is here. Um, and this is something that President Trump's been talking about for about a month now. What happened is, um, well, about a month ago, uh, a couple hundred people from Central America, many from Honduras, um, started a, a trek um, up from Central America through Mexico, headed to the United States. Now, once they get to the United States, and they are now apparently at a, at a border crossing, they want to come to the United States and they want to be admitted saying that they are uh, seeking asylum or refugees. There, there's a different legal status, but they want to be brought into the, the country. Once they are brought into the, the country, they are allowed, um, at least the way it works now, to temporarily stay and then they are released. And if they get released, well, they're, they're in the country. And if they show up for their asylum hearings or their hearings on being able to stay, um, that's great. But if they don't, well, then, you know, they're in this country illegally and the border authorities have to try to find them. President Trump has been saying, okay, you've got this caravan of people that are coming in. We need to stop it. Mexico and, you know, under the law, Mexico is the one that should have probably stopped this caravan and, you know, made the decision as to whether they were going to allow the people to seek refugee status in Mexico or they were going to send them back to where they came from. Um, but Mexico has allowed this caravan to now get to the border. You've got people from the ACLU. You've got all the different civil rights advocates that are saying, you've you got to bring, bring people in. Here's, here's the problem with all this. We have to be able to control our border. And in this case, it's not 20,000, but it's a couple hundred people. You, you cannot allow people to migrate from multiple countries, show up at the border of the United States, and be allowed in simply by saying, I, I, I'm here now, take me in, I want asylum, I want to be treated as a refugee. You, you cannot allow that to happen in a massive sort of situation. Um, and what has to happen is either the people get turned away, or if they are brought into the country, they have to be held together. You can't just, in my opinion, you can't just release them to waft away in the night and maybe come back uh, for an asylum hearing or maybe not. What you have to do is you have to keep them in some form of internment fashion, whether you decide you know, ultimately what you're going to do with them or not. We have to get control of our borders. And some of these people might have legitimate claims for asylum or refugee status. But the problem is if you admit people en masse and then they just disappear into the night and you never see them again, you're never going to know it. So I think President Trump is correct to say, look, we, we want to stop these border crossings and we're not going to let you in and we're not going to let you just disappear into the country. We have to get control of our border, period. When we come back, is it is it an inherently offensive term? The owner of the restaurant says there's nothing racist about this name at all. It's an interesting conversation. Stick around. It's 1259. 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Glad to have you with us. Spike Lee, 
is an American filmmaker. Um, I, I think a lot of people perhaps seen his movies now. Maybe he's most famous for he does those does the commercials with Char- Charles Block uh, um, Charles Barkley around the NCAA tournament. And Samuel L. Jackson when they're kind of on the road. That, that's Spike Lee, incredibly talented guy. Um, I, I think in many respects his greatest burst of creativity when he first started making movies in the mid '80s, and he had a lot of really good movies. Do the Right Thing, um, 1989, which is uh, a movie about uh, a a race riot that breaks out in Brooklyn. Just absolutely incredible. And two years later, he followed that up with a movie called Jungle Fever. Um, if you've never seen Jungle Fever, it, it's it Wesley Snipes, um, and this is one of his big first starring movies. Um, but the, the plot of, of Jungle Fever, essentially, it... it it's based on the the slang derivation of that term. Jungle fever, of course, originally refers to um, people who went to the jungle in the 1800s and got sick. Um, the, the current Urban Dictionary version of jungle fever and what the title of the Spike Lee movie refers to is uh, people who are not black, who are attracted or get involved in interracial racial romances with people who are. And the, the plot of, of Jungle Fever is there's this, Wesley Snipes plays this married black man, married to a black woman who has an affair with a white woman. And it just shows how, and, and then again, this is in New York, and it shows how, you know, her family reacts and how his family reacts. I mean, but that's the thing. Jungle Fever in this context refers to somebody who is not black, who is attracted to, has a relationship with somebody who is. That's the term. Um, I guess it's a derogatory term in a way. I don't know. But again, that Spike Lee has this movie. Now, why do I say this? Because there's a controversy which is broken out over the name of a restaurant. Out in, in the Los Angeles area, there's a, a, a group of people who are, are local business owners who have started the, their own series of rest, the, their own restaurant chain. Got a couple local businesses. Here, here's the way the Washington Post reports it. Kelly Kim and her husband wanted the name of their new Pan-Asian restaurant to stand out. They said, you know, I mean, so many of these Asian restaurants, they've got stereotypical phrases like dragon or lotus or bamboo. So then they said, okay, we've got the name. We're going to call our place Yellow Fever. Yellow Fever. And they say, okay, this, what we're referring to is, um, you know, we think this term, Yellow Fever, implies an attraction or affinity of Asian people or Asian things. Is that that's it, you know, and that's what apparently they serve, you know, again, it's Asian food and they serve it in, you know, there's different, you know, types of, you know, like bowls. You can have the Asian bowl, you can have this bowl, whatever. And so they start this local restaurant chain and they call it Yellow Fever. And their implication is, hey, this is people, you know, we're it's kind of a play on like jungle fever or whatever. But it's people who are attracted to, uh, again, the Asian culture. All right. So the restaurants take off, and, and they get a number of different locations. Well, why are we talking about this now? Because Whole Foods, you know, which is based out of the big, you know, they've, they've got grocery stores all over the country. Whole Foods has this program where local businesses can come in and they can set up their businesses 
inside the Whole Foods store. And, and Whole Foods does this as a community outreach kind of thing because they say hey, it's good for everybody. You know, we'll, we'll allow the store or restaurant or whatever to set up inside our store. That will attract people who are going to come in and patronize the restaurant. And, you know, they might shop at Whole Foods. Or similarly, we can help the local business because you got people that are going to come to Whole Foods and maybe they'll stop off and, and maybe they'll, you know, again, eat at the restaurant or whatever. So this is this program that Whole Foods has um, where, you know, you, you can come in. It, it's some Whole Foods, for example, they'll allow local coffee shops to operate. Again, it's it's something that's supposed to be good for community and is something that's, again, good for, for Whole Foods. So there's this restaurant. Again, it's called Yellow Fever. It's a locally run business. Um, kind of a start of a chain run by the, this Asian woman, her husband, and another friend of theirs, and it's called Yellow Fever. So they they get this deal. They make a deal with the local Whole Foods to start the restaurant. So now there is a Yellow Fever Asian restaurant inside the Whole Foods. Well, as happens a lot of times with social media, all you know what has broken loose. Um, on the Internet, people are attacking and denouncing Whole Foods and this restaurant. They're saying, hey, th- this is an incredibly racist term. Don't you know what yellow fever means? I mean, this is just absolutely terrible. How can you uh, allow this? The, you know, the, the folks who run this are saying, well, wait a second, we're Asian ourselves. You know, the meaning of this, at least what we have the meaning of this term is, that, you know, again, it's we, we want to we want to be something other than, you know, the, the lotus room. You know, we want to be something that says, OK, this is an affinity for the Asian culture, for Asian food. Come get, you know, catch yellow fever. Come here. And some are saying, oh, this is just a terrible. This is a demeaning way to refer to yourself. Whole food should allow it. You people should be shamed, uh, ashamed of your Self. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, are these proprietors of this restaurant, who, by the way, are Asian themselves, is this an inherently racist name? Should Whole Foods immediately toss this store this store out? Should Whole Foods be criticized for allowing them in in the first place? Is it exploited? Is it racist? Should we be offended or... Is this another one of these examples of people trying to, I don't know, create a problem, a solution for a problem that doesn't exist? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this an offensive nickname for which people, well, people should be bothered about this? Or is this another one of these examples, again, of people driving around trying to find something to upset them? 414-799-1620. Do we need to ban the term yellow fever? And, you know, if so, you know, can we, can we show movies like Jungle Fever? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss next. It's 117. This is Jeff Wagner. 120. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay. If you're just tuning in, here's the story. There's this, this small local restaurant chain. Um, operates out of Southern California, the L.A., the Long Beach area. It's run by an Asian couple and one of their Asian partners. 
They were looking for names for the restaurant. Again, it's an Asian restaurant. They decided to call it Yellow Fever. By that, they mean it's kind of like a play on the, the jungle fever term. It's like, okay, we want young, Yellow Fever. We want to encourage people to be interested and excited and have an interest and a fondness and an affection for the Asian culture, uh, hence, you know, yellow. So, you know, here, this is what we want. And the business has been extremely successful. They've just been allowed to relocate inside a Whole Foods. And now social media has gone nuts. Oh, this is incredibly racist and stereotypical. You know, how can you do this? And, of course, the response of the owners is, Look, you know, first of all, we're, we're Asian ourselves. Secondly, you know, we're choosing to define this term. Yeah, we want you to catch yellow fever. We want you to be excited about, yes, the food that we are producing. Yes, we want you to be excited about Asian products. Um, all right, is this inherently racist? Should we be offended? 414-799-1620, our text line. I'm Asian, and I'm upset I didn't think of the name. <laughs> uh, Lori says, I work at Whole Foods. A big part of the business model is promoting local products and businesses. I see nothing wrong with this. Um, yeah, um, let's see. This is ridiculous. People came up with a clever name, and people on the Internet can't just leave it be. They need to get a job or get a life and stop persecuting other people for, you know, doing this type of stuff. Um, right. I, I think, you know, the question becomes what what type of colors are now going to be, you know, off, off limit? You know, can't we can't we have white rice anymore? Um, you know, where where do you end up drawing the line? And as I've often said, I think there's real racism in in this world. And I understand that there's stuff that goes on that perpetuates cultural stereotypes and things of the like. In this particular case, again, it's it's an Asian owner. It is Asian owners who are trying to say, all right, we're looking for a clever name. We are trying to promote, uh, again, this business model that we have, and we don't see anything wrong with it. And you know what? I don't see anything wrong with it either. And I, I think this is one of these cases where Whole Foods shouldn't allow a couple trolls or cranks on the Internet to you know, force them to back off, and I certainly don't think that this restaurant should afford to should back off as well. And you know, and we see this time and time again. We saw this last week with the local bar, you know, down in West Dallas. The it's on Walker Street or Walker Avenue, seventy South Seventy Fourth Street in West Dallas, and it's called the Walk Her In. And they've got a slogan, walk her in, drag her out. Remember the story we talked about that? And some people were offended. Oh, this promotes the rape culture. And they're saying, well, no, it's been there for 40 years. It's just kind of a sort of a play on words and things like that. But you get some of those people, the perpetually correct and the politically offended, the politically correct and the perpetually offended who are, are just bothered by this. That's the same sort of people who are out there upset with the restaurant that wants to call itself Yellow Fever. Give me a break. All right, when we come back, I spent Friday night, well, like many of you spent Friday night, we're going to talk about it. It's 123. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 126, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Harley-Davidson has its plan set for the 115th anniversary celebration here in Milwaukee this summer. Can we guess that Elton John is not going to be headlining the event? I think that might be safe. Check out all the info by texting the word Harley to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line 414-799-1620. Okay, Gru, did you break down over the weekend? Did you go see Avengers? Oh, you're seeing it tonight. Okay, okay. no, I, oh, 
Oh, he's now warned me. My producer has now warned me. Whatever you say, don't do any spoilers. Okay. All right. Well, I, I, I bring this up because Friday night, I I packed myself up. I drove out to Waukesha. I met my brother and sister-in-law and my nephew and one of his friends at the Majestic Theater for the 7 p.m. showing of Avengers Infinity Wars. And I'm, look, as I've said before, I grew up reading Marvel comic books and stuff, and I've seen most, not all, but most of the, the Marvel movies that have come out. And, and, you know, over the last seven or eight years, it all has been kind of leading up to this, this Avengers thing. Um, what was interesting to me is when I was there on Friday night, now it opened, Friday was the opening night, but I think they had some special advanced showings like like Thursday, like at, at midnight and things like that. Um, every show was sold out. When we got there for the 7 o'clock show, every, every show on Friday was sold out. Uh, the numbers, Infinity War has opened with a record $250 million. Um, this is the largest, highest opening weekend of all time. Past uh, the Star Wars that opened a couple years ago, um, this is, and, and they're, they're saying, the predictions are that this is going to go on to be the, the highest grossing movie, you know, of, of all time. So the theater was absolutely packed after you, and this is one of my pet peeves, after you sit through 30 minutes of previews, there were 30 minutes of previews. At, at the end, it's like, oh, for the love of God, make it stop, you know, be, and there were a couple interesting movies that were coming out, the Deadpool 2 and, um, the Han Solo movie was getting, and there was one or two others, but it's kind of like glossing them over and think, okay, well, the movie itself is like two and a half hours long, and you've got a half hour of previews. There's only so long. I got to go to the bathroom, especially if I'm drinking that giant Diet Pepsi or whatever. I mean, it's like, all right, you, you, you got to do that. But in any event, finally, 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 the movie started, and I, I watched, you know, I watched the movie for the two and a half hours. All right, this is, I, I think, one of these sort of shared cultural experiences because my guess is that you know maybe you went because you wanted to see it maybe you went because your kids wanted to see it maybe you went because your kids and your grandkids wanted to see it but this this was a cultural happening and lots and lots of people are seeing it i want to take at least one segment of the show and get away from talking about politics and a lot of the bad stuff that's going on in the world i want to talk about this movie 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We will do this in a spoiler-free context, but I am genuinely curious. uh, Did you, if you've seen the movie over the weekend, and we know lots and lots of people did, uh, did it live up to the hype? Did you enjoy it, or was this kind of a letdown? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you recommend this to other people this is, I mean, it's the first blockbuster movie of the year, but my guess is this is going to be the blockbuster movie of the year. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Gru, you want to know God's way of telling you you had too much time on your hands? Uh, Stormy Daniels, who, of course, has parlayed her one-night stand with Donald Trump back in 2006 into this kind of like cottage industry of lawsuits. And like I say, Stormy Daniels and her attorney, I got to take my hat off to them in one respect. They are the greatest promoters since Barnum and Bailey. I mean, there's just no question about this. And she's now filed some other lawsuit. Uh, She's suing him for 
um, I don't know, defamation because he said, you know, it was a, the, those, the claims were a con job or something like that. But again, this, this is, the, the woman is an attention seeker and, um, I, do I, do I have any doubt that the two of them, you know, something happened that they got busy at this, after this golf outing in 2006? No, I have no doubt about it at all. But I mean, okay. She's really kind of, you know, milking her 15 minutes of fame. But anyhow, this is God's way of telling you that you have too much time. She is now, she's resuscitated her career. And in addition to, like, making appearances outside, like, public uh, courthouses in Manhattan and stuff, she, she makes her living by stripping. And, and over, over the weekend, she was performing at strip clubs in Dallas, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Two shows at a strip joint on Friday night in Fort Worth, and another one uh, on Saturday night in Dallas. Well, here, um, forty dollar cover charge. Anybody who pays the cover charge could get in to see her. But here's the interesting thing: um, the owner of the strip club says um, that people people were lining up at noon at noon on Friday to get in to see her show like at 10 o'clock at, at night. So people were going to stand in line for 10 hours to pay $40 to watch this woman dance on this main stage. All right, if you wonder whether you have, if you wonder what God's way of telling you that you have too much time on your hands, if you've got 10 hours to stand in line outside of a Fort Worth strip joint, to watch Stormy Daniels dance on the main stage after paying a $40 cover charge, that is it. The other interesting things is the owner says that apparently a number of notable guests, many of whom are VIPs, are flying in from New York to see her. That would be God's way of telling you that you both have too much money and too much time if you're going to fly from New York to Fort Worth to wait in line outside of a strip club to watch this woman take off her clothes. I am just saying. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Infinity Wars opened up over the weekend, $250 million. I saw it on Friday night, and you know what? I thought it was great. I, I it's, it's a bit long, but, you know, I, I didn't notice. I didn't find myself looking at my watch. As somebody who knows now, the, the truth is, I, I was talking to my wife who has not seen any of the the previous movies, and I said, "Well, I think. I mean, the truth is, you have to have seen many, maybe not all of them, but you have to have you know seen a lot of them, or else you'd be kind of be completely lost with the the plot line and the characters and stuff like that. And of course, you've got this incredibly action packed movie with all these different superheroes and stuff. But for anybody who grew up uh, reading comic books. Or anybody who grew up, you know, watching these movies, I thought it was really well done. I thought it was really good, and I guess the highest compliment that I can pay of it if, to it is, again, aside from the thirty minutes of the previews, it gets kind of tedious. I mean, I, I would see the movie uh, again. I'm sure that there's a lot of stuff that I missed the, the first time, and a lot of the interactions. But it had a great villain, had a great plot line. There is a cliffhanger because they've already filmed like they do with these movies that they filmed two back to back. So the next movie comes out next year about this time that'll wrap it up. So there's a cliffhanger. And 
I, I understand that it, it seems kind of contrived and things like that, but, but nevertheless, I, I thought it was just a really good, a really strong movie, and my guess is it is going to be an incredible success because there's a lot of people who went and saw it over the weekend, people like my producer, Gru, who hadn't get a chance to see it over the weekend, but I think there's going to be folks that go back, and, and this is how, the way you can tell the movies that are really successful, it's not that people go see them once, but it's that people go back and see them two or three or four or five times. And this is a movie that I, if I can see going back and seeing it a second time in the theater, I can imagine that a lot of people, you know, really like the fanboys and the fangirls, I can imagine a lot of them going back and seeing it on, on multiple occasions, more than two. I think this is going to be an absolutely huge hit. And you know what? I mean, I think the people that made it absolutely knocked it out of the park. So I give... I give Avengers Infinity War, I give it a thumbs up and say, hey, if you're looking for some fun and you know the characters and you've watched some of these movies before, go out and check it out. You know, take your kids, take your grandkids. They will have an absolute blast, even though um, my advice is go potty before you sit down into the theater because it does last for a long time. It's 141. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, more and more of you are cutting the cable. What's going on with that? Stick around. 145, Jeff Weck, WTMJ. Okay, I admit that this is a bizarre story. The doctor accused of branding female members of a New York sex cult. You've been following the story. It grew. You have not. Now, but it, it, it's actually, this is this cult that's been operating for a while. And the, the founder and, and one of the people who's a higher up in the cult is this woman who was an actress on Smallville a couple of years ago. But anyhow, this is the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. A doctor accused of branding female members of a New York sex cult worked at Columbia St. Mary's Hospital and two of its affiliates as recently as last summer and reportedly tried to create recruit at least one of her Milwaukee patients, Danielle D. Roberts. A 36-year-old family doctor has been identified in multiple media accounts as a leader of this sex cult, this controversial self-help group. Some female members were brainwashed by the founder, Keith Ranieri, branded with his initials and coerced into having sex with him. This is a bizarre story. In recent weeks, Ranieri and one of his top recruiters, former Smallville actress Allison Mack, were arrested and charged with sex trafficking. The group and its bizarre practices have been making headlines for a number of years. Um, the criminal complaint says Ranieri, known as Vanguard, created a system in which women are told they can advance in the group by acting as slaves to male masters. Those at the highest level must do menial chores, follow near-starvation diets, and keep the details of the group secret. Oh, yes, this is a cult that you want to be a part of. Members of the group have identified Roberts, this is the doctor, as a physician who branded them in the pubic area, with a cauterizing iron to form a scar spelling K-R-A-M, Ranieri and Max initials. Okay. Records show Roberts has worked in recent years at St. Mary's, Columbia St. Mary's, Ozaki in Mequon, and Sacred Heart Rehabilitation uh, Hospital. A spokesperson for Ascension Wisconsin said Roberts was never employed directly by St. Mary's, but worked for a staffing agency that provided temporary workers for the hospital. Ascension owns St. Mary's and its affiliates. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Now, this this raises, I think, a number of interesting questions. Well, she wasn't a doctor on our staff, 
but we got her from like a temporary agency. Huh. I mean, do we not check these people out at all before you send these folks over who are, you know, doctors? I mean, here, all right, just we, you know, we need a couple extra doctors. Let's send them over from the temporary agency. One of her former St. Mary's patients told the Journal Sentinel that Roberts tried to persuade him to attend a 16 day seminar hosted by XOSO, an affiliate of the cult that uh, she runs. She has posted a 20-minute video online in which she talks about creating belief systems for miraculous healing, and then presumably they brand you. Such 16-day seminars are said to cost up to $7,500. I mean, I'm telling you, the world world is just extremely strange. Apparently, um, this is not a secret that this woman's been a a part of, of this. They find this stuff on the you know, on the Internet. Then you research her, and this all comes up. Um, and then apparently some of the patients have, you know, turned turned them into the hospital and turned them into um, the state medical boards, and nobody does anything about it. It's like, oh, well, you know, it's just the whole thing is just bizarre. But I think a fundamental question is, what do we know? I mean, really, are these the, are these the best doctors that we can find that are going to be performing services at these various facilities? I mean, seriously? Huh. All right. Um, true story. The other night, um, it is, okay, Saturday night. My wife had to work. I was watching the, the Bucks game. It was, like I said, it was kind of a tough, you know, sports weekend. The Brewers lose four in a row. So I'm watching the draft. I'm watching the Brewers lose to Chicago. I'm watching the Bucks lose to Boston. And then I kind of fall asleep. And so I, I wake up when my wife comes home. She works second shift. And she comes home and, um, I, I've got, be, because I'm a child of pop culture, I, I've got, um, where we live, it's the, um, it's Spectrum. You know, it's, it's the Time Warner Charter thing. I mean, Time Warner sold the Wisconsin operations to Charter, but they haven't fully integrated it yet. So, I mean, I, I've got, I, I've got Spectrum cable. And I, I've got, I've got all the bells and whistles. I, I've got all the movie channels. I don't even want to talk about how much I spend for it, but I, I've got all the sports channels. I've got all that stuff. So my wife comes home. I've now awakened from my nap, and we're just kind of like looking for something that we can watch together. And honest to God, you know, it, it really is. It's like 200 channels, and we couldn't find anything that interested. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the HBOs, the Cinemax, the regular stuff. We're going up and down the dial, and we can't find anything that we really want to watch together. So we settle on um, the Game Show Network. And we're watching like some rerun of the Family Feud. That's what it has come to. My life is like late Saturday night. I'm watching a rerun, but we're playing along the Family Feud, so we're having a little bit of fun with that. But I mean, I really had to work. I've got all these channels, and we couldn't find anything that we wanted to watch. So again, I'm watching some rerun on the Game Show Network. How pathetic is that? Okay, fine. But but the, the point was there was nothing to watch despite all these different channels. I bring this up because there's a story out today. Charter Communications, which is like Spectrum for us around here, the second largest cable company in the country, said for the first quarter of this year, 2018, so it would be January through March, they lost 122,000 video subscribers. Um, Analysts thought they might drop 43,000. They dropped 122,000 subscribers. Um, And... 
And this, it got their attention. Now, some of this was due to the fact that they, they disconnected a lot of people who hadn't been paying their bills. So that, that cost them some. They got rid of some of the deadbeats. So that cost them some. But, but that doesn't explain the whole thing. More and more people are making this decision to cut the cable. Now, I, for one, again, I mean, I, I love cable TV. And, and I love the fact that you can, you know, watch, Watch soccer from England at 6 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning, and you can watch all this obscure stuff and all. So I love it. But the truth is more and more people are simply saying we're not seeing the value from this. And, and even if we want to have the entertainment, rather than paying whatever we've got to pay to have the these cable subscription, you know, it's a lot easier and it's a lot cheaper just to go to with Netflix or go to Amazon or, or something like that or get the Roku TV, you know, and download these different types of stuff. We don't need cable. Now, I don't know that cable's problem is as pronounced right now as the, the landline phones are, but more and more people are making this decision to, to cut the cord. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you considering moving on from cable? Have you moved on from cable, and if so, why? Now, again, I, I'm not at that point because, again, I'm just still – I love having all the different channels and all. But the truth is I think more and more people, particularly more and more, I don't know, of the millennials or, or younger, are just simply saying we're not getting the value out of this. And, again, I was just thinking about this story as I'm looking on Saturday night to try to find something that my wife and I could agree on to watch – and we settle on reruns of Family Feud. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, hold on. We discuss next. It's 153. This is Jeff Wagner. 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Um, Charter Cable, which is Spectrum, you know, they've now bought Time Warner in Wisconsin. And they're in the process of, like, making the change. Um, last Friday, they, they lost 122,000 subscribers in the first quarter. That's a lot more than they thought. Are you cutting the cable? Kathy and Mosquito. Hi, Kathy. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I think that the Spectrum prices are ridiculous. Uh, when it was Time Warner, you could call once a year, ask for customer retention, and they would give you the current deal. Well, Spectrum doesn't do that. So my cable bill for just cable and Internet is $187 a month, and I just refuse to pay it. Right. So Saturday, my husband went and bought a TiVo DVR, and uh, we were hooking it up, and I'm taking all the equipment back to Spectrum tomorrow. You know, we got a, something called Perfect Player that gives you all the cable channels uh, that you could get with Spectrum, you know, added an antenna uh, for local stuff, and I'm, I'm just done with them. So it's the price. It's just too expensive for what you get. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And they offer specials for new people, but they do absolutely nothing to keep their current customers who have been with them for years and years. It's inter- I mean, thanks to call because I mean, I, I'm in a new house now, and when when we signed up for the, the Spectrum, you know, we got a rate. Sounds like we have the same stuff that that you ended up having, and and I know after the first year, it, it's going to go up to a higher amount. Mike and Sheboygan, Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. How are you? Very well. Thank um, you. Sir. I think that's it. Maybe a couple things. Um, up until this year, for three years, we didn't have any cable. We just had an antenna, and so we picked up walking Green Bay. But um, now we're busy. We, we don't have a lot of time. We don't have kids, but we watch a couple shows. But I think the main, I think besides the money, I think families are really, really busy and running around. And, and I think at the end of the day, um, you know, they're, 
they're not going to sit down and try to catch a TV show or they're going to just stream something or, you know, watch something they've taped or whatever. So I think that's part so of it. So you don't need, what you're finding is you don't need the universe that, that's out there. There's yeah. a couple shows that you might want, but you're you're going to be fussy. Hey, we've got a couple hours here. We're going to watch what we want to watch. I don't need yeah. 200 channels. Especially in their summer with families and stuff, you know, everybody's going outside now. Winter's a little bit different, but, you know, mm-hmm. there's stuff to do all summer long, so. Okay, thanks, Nicole. Well, I mean, this is clearly an issue moving forward. I, I think I, I think one of the things I think you're seeing is that people are, are, are kind of migrating to what they call, like, the skinny cable stuff. You know, th- there's stuff that you want. You know, you, you know what it is. You don't need that whole universe of choices. Okay, give, give me a package that gets me. I, I want to be able to watch ESPN. I want to be able to watch a couple other things, and that's all I need. It's 209. This is Jeff Wagner. There is a difference between doing something that is a crime and doing something that might not have been the best situation under the circumstances. I want to talk about this 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 horrible story involving the mentally Ill, Ill guy and the West Dallas police officers. If you haven't been following this, last May 25th, a neighbor calls police because there's a 22-year-old man named Adam Trammell who has his mental health issues. Um, so neighbor calls police because Trammell had knocked on her door was naked in the hallway talking about the devil and his brother. Um, the, the neighbor is afraid that she he's experiencing a, a psychiatric break, psychotic break. Um, Trammell had not threatened anyone or brandished a weapon, but it, he's naked, he's banging on her door talking about the, the, the devil. She calls police. When police arrived, neighbor tells them that she feared that he might harm himself. Trammell's downstairs neighbor tells them that water is leaking through their ceiling from his apartment. So, okay, you imagine the situation. These two cops arrive. They've gotten this call. There's this guy who's in a psychotic episode. He's naked. He's talking about the devil. There's water pouring, well, at least dripping down from his apartment into the apartment below. So instead of waiting 25 minutes for a landlord or somebody to arrive to open the door, the police break down the door to the man's apartment and walk through the apartment to the bathroom where they find Trammell taking a shower and drinking from a jug of water. Um, officers speak to him. He stares at them and does not reply. One of the officers then reaches for him, who pushes him, pushes the officer away. That's when one of the officers first deployed his taser, causing Trammell to fall backwards into the tub. Um, he's initially lying still. So then the police try to handcuff him and, and, you know, remove him from the tub. He starts to struggle with him, and they tase him some more. During the struggle, officers drop their tasers. A third officer, who was outside his bathroom, handed hers to one of them. The officers called West Dallas Police for help. These are West Milwaukee officers. West Dallas recommended disengaging, so the officers did. Okay, so you have this incident where... The guy is refusing to come out of the bathroom. They've tased him, but they're still um, they're still fighting with him. Then, ultimately, paramedics arrive. He's calmed down slightly. Trammell was handcuffed and struggling on the ground outside his apartment. The paramedics give him sedatives um, in an attempt to calm him down. Okay, so then they get him into the ambulance. 
And by the time they get him into the ambulance, he had stopped breathing and had no pulse. He was pronounced dead within minutes of arriving at the hospital. All right, so now there is an investigation. You know, what what happened here? And what happened at the end of last week is the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office said, well, I don't find a basis for bringing criminal charges against the two officers who tased this guy on multiple occasions. First of all, the medical evidence is such that I don't believe that I can establish beyond a reasonable doubt that the tasing necessarily caused him to lose his life, that they tased him, but then there was a, a gap between, you know, when he stopped breathing and when they had tased him. Um, also, you could look at it and say maybe it was the tasing, maybe it was the psychotic episode that he was involved in, maybe it was you know the sedatives that were provided by the paramedics. It was all these different types of things. But in any event, the district attorney says, I, I can't prove, I don't think I can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that these police officers, even if you assume, first of all, I, I, I don't know that he, the district attorney says, I, I'm not sure I'm convinced that they were you know, engaging in stuff that was, you know, out of out of practice for dealing with a type of situation like this. And secondly, I don't think I can necessarily causally prove that the electric shocks, um, the taser, was what caused the man to die. Now, understandably, um, understandably, the family is unhappy with this. But there was more than 30 minutes that elapsed between the first time the officers deployed their tasers and the time the guy, you know, lost consequence, uh, lost consciousness. You know, what authorities are talking about in this situation is that, well, um, again, what you have here is somebody who is in, you know, one of these sort of psychotic phases. What is it that, um, you know, authorities are supposed to do? And there's a term that, that is used, it's called excited delirium, which is what happens, again, when you have somebody, for example, who's schizophrenic, who is going into this state, and that in and of itself can you know, cause some of these problems. But in any event, the family is extremely upset. They say, look, these police officers came in, clearly you have somebody who's having this psych- psych- psychotic episode, um, and instead of just disengaging and waiting, they tased him 18 times. That can't be right. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I understand why the district attorney ruled that he doesn't have a basis to issue criminal charges. I, I get that, and I don't criticize that. I understand why the, the West Dallas police, I mean, they're pending the final uh, results of their investigation, but I understand why they're also saying, hey, we don't think we're going to take action against these police officers because, you know, what they did was consistent with their training. I understand that. And I'm not calling for blood from the police officers. I, I will say this, though. It is a very, very difficult situation. But given the fact that you do have people who suffer from mental illnesses that are out there, I, I do think that there are times when the police engage where maybe it would be best to back off and and wait um, till like the mental health professionals get there and this might have been one of those cases and again I I don't I don't support criminal charges I think that was the right decision um, but if you have a situation and, and let's let's look at something like this the guy it's not like he's got a gun 
It's not like he's got a knife. He, he's in the shower, clearly having this psychotic episode. Do you need to confront him? And, and, or is it best to simply say, okay, let, let's wait till the paramedics get here. Let's contain and control the situation. Let's wait till the mental health professionals get here and then let's move on. Do you need to treat a guy under these circumstances the same way you would treat somebody who's got a gun or brandishing a knife or whatever? Because I, I understand those are the situations where you pull out the taser and you zap them. In this case, the guy was naked. He's drinking from a jug of water. He's in the shower. Clearly, there are issues, and clearly you have to deal with it. But do you need to tase him? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I guess one of the things that I, I've noticed now, it seems like more than ever, you have police officers who are called to these scenes, and they, they get in situations where they're confronting people who are dangerously mentally ill in many of those cases those people who are dangerously mentally ill pose a threat to to the officers they pose a threat to other people and and you need to obviously i think escalate the response but in a situation where it's not a direct threat again i'm not criticizing the officers what they apparently did was within the bounds of their training at least that's what i think the police chiefs decided that's certainly what the da's office has decided maybe there will be a lawsuit that reaches a, a a different you know conclusion but at some point in time is it better to back off and just let this thing play out as opposed to saying okay we're we're going to take you into custody um, we're going to pull out the tasers, and we're going to hit you 18 times. I don't think they were responsible for the man's death. I don't disagree with the lack of charges, but I am thinking, boy, this could have been handled differently, and maybe the guy would still be alive if it were. Sandy and Oshkosh. Sandy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Sandy. Uh, hi, I'm an anesthesiologist by profession. Um, so this is not my specialty. Uh, psychiatry, but uh, I see enough patients, and I can tell you when somebody is having a psychotic episode, uh, it's best to leave them alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody can really engage with them or make them understand anything, uh, especially the police officers who are used to using their authority sometimes, and this, this guy is not going to listen to anybody in that situation. They, right. he, he would he would have been alive if he would have been just left alone and deal with it when he was calm. Right. Well, how, okay. So, how do you how do you handle it? I mean, maybe you you shut off the water to the building so that stops the shower, and and then I mean, at some point in time, somebody does have to intervene. What do you do? Somebody comes and uses tranquilizers or something like that. I mean, how do you get a situation like this under control? This is something like you know how uh, I have not been in a real life situation, but I have been. In movies, like when somebody is trying to jump off a building and you call these specialist people who are able to talk them out of into that situation. Right. So you need to call medical professionals or other people like psycho- psychotherapists or psychologists who can talk to this person and right. talk him out of that situation. In the meantime, yeah, you know, whatever you can think of, like cut, cut the water supply or just leave him alone, just turn the... 
close his apartment so at least other people are safe from from him right and he is safe by himself you know right rather than engage with this guy and you know cause more trauma to him and right now the police officers were okay he could have very well hurt the police officers too well right know? yeah that that yeah. no no sandy thank see that that's the whole thing and i guess it's and again, I, I want to do this topic without criticizing the police because that is not my intention. For for what they did, apparently it was within the protocols of their training. But I mean, I I was listening to the description of this, and I, I guess I think this is maybe one where, from a law enforcement perspective, given the fact that you are apparently being confronted with more and more of these folks who are in these psychotic episodes. Does it make more sense? Maybe you need to look at the protocols that are differently. If the person is not presenting an imminent danger to other people, or maybe even himself, all right, and and nobody's saying that. He's just non-responsive. He's in the psychotic episode. Is it best to control the situation? Okay, he's in the bathroom. We've now shut off the water. We're going to stay there, and we're going to wait till uh, again, the medical health professionals arrive instead of, we're going to ratchet it up by by trying to forcibly subdue someone. That's what I think. I guess I have the the issues with, and I think it's something that the law enforcement community um, you know, needs to take into account in figuring out how to handle this. Did you make it? Did you end up making it worse? Do you put the officers' lives on the line? Do you put the guy's life on the line? Or or can you just are you better off by just holding off, back off? Let's control the situation. And then let's see where it goes. It's 222. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Catch up on today's headlines with John. Two former UW Oshkosh leaders face felony charges. The employee who blew the whistle joins us at 3.30 this afternoon. Wisconsin's Afternoon News with John Mercure on WTMJ. All right, let's talk a little bit about my pillow. I've been telling you this story for months now. I was not sleeping well, and if you saw the pillows I used to sleep on, you would understand why that was. My fiance, now my wife, said, hey, try out my pillow. She'd been using one for years. I did, started sleeping a lot better. I've been telling you about it for months, and I know a lot of you have gone out and purchased them, and the feedback I get is almost universally positive. So if you're thinking, you know, I really should try one of those, don't delay. Now is the time to do it. Um, my pillow also offers a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. So if you get it, you don't like it, no problem. You just send it back. All right, go to MyPillow.com. What you're going to see on their website is this notation that says four-pack special. Click on that. They're going to ask you for a promo code. The promo code is my last name, Wagner. And you can get 50% off two of their MyPillow premium pillows and two of their Go Anywhere pillows that I wish I had with me when I was on vacation a couple weeks ago. You can also get the same deal by going to calling their number. It's 1-800-953-4163. Again, use the promo code Wagner. Look, check it out. The truth is, with the guarantees and the warranties, the only thing you have to lose is another sleepless night. And who needs that? 225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This Joy Reid story just gets weirder and weirder and weirder. Joy Reid is this up-and-coming rising star on MSNBC. She's an African-American woman who's gotten a lot of attention lately because she is the embodiment of of Trump derangement syndrome. She's got um, a show on Saturday mornings, and she's a guest on all sorts of other things, and and she is the ultimate liberal flamethrower. I mean, at the... If you want somebody that's going to say the most outlandish things, okay, this is her. But the folks that hate President Trump, you know, eat this all up. Well, it it came out a couple months ago, if you haven't been following the story, 
that back before anybody who knew she knew who she was, she was trying to to make her name back in 2005, 2006, 2007. She she had this blog that she called the Reed Report, and she was writing some of the most incredibly homophobic things on this blog. Some of them surfaced in December. She acknowledged that, apologized. Well, now a lot more stuff have emerged, which is even more hateful. Um, this is the type of stuff that would be career-ending if it was conservative. Joy Reid said, well, I, I, I acknowledge this other stuff, but I, I, I didn't write this. I, I w- I've been hacked. I am a victim. That's what she said. Well, all right, it's now been pretty much proved that she's, she's lying about that. Library of Congress records show that she's lying. She apparently referred this to the FBI. And my, what I was saying is if she's filed a false police report, I think she needs to be prosecuted for that. So over the weekend, she comes out and says, well, um, I, I know I said I was hacked. I can't prove that, but I don't. I don't remember writing the, these hateful things. <laughs> I, I know they're there, and and I know I can't prove I was hacked, but I, I just can't believe I wrote these sort of things. Which is, I don't know. One of them. I, I, you know, I mean, I don't think that too many people could try that and get away with it. Gee, boss, um, I I know it looks like I did it, but I I just don't remember doing that. Here, you know, forgive me. And it appears that MSNBC is going to let her get away with this. You want to talk about double standards. The reality is if this was any, any conservative commentator on Fox News or any, you know, conservative leading radio station and this sort of stuff came out and then you denied it, put up this whole thing about saying, I must have been a victim here. I must have been hacked. And turns out that that's not true. You know, you'd be looking for another job. But apparently, again, this is the double standard of the left. People are just going to simply, at least MSNBC appears ready to completely ignore it. And the people that would otherwise have been protesting and picketing and starting social media campaigns, causing calling for her to lose her job, well, you, you get crickets out of this. Again, it's not so much whether he keeps her, she keeps her job or not. It is the double standard, which is absolutely appalling. And that's where the Joy Reid matter stands as of now. When we come back, all right, Governor Walker says, well, if Donald Trump wants to come and campaign, you know, for me, I will embrace him. We're going to talk about that. Stick around. It's 228. This is Jeff Wagner. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, I have come to the conclusion. Let's mark the tape. Here we are. What, uh, last day of April. This is April 30th, right? April 30th. I have come to the conclusion that this talk of the blue wave is overblown. Now, I, I understand I, I've looked at the election results and all, but actually I think um, we, we've actually sort of overplayed the, the people who are the anti-Trump folks have overplayed their hand. And I think that there is a backlash that is brewing. Um, you, you saw it, the backlash, I think, of people to... I know what passes for humor at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And I think more and more people are starting to say e- enough is is enough. Now, Governor Walker is in the midst of running for his third term. By any objective measure, this should not be a close reelection effort. Because here, here's the deal. If, if you look at where Wisconsin is, um, the, the state fiscally is in better shape than it's been in a long, long time. 
The unemployment rate is 2.9%. You've got money which has been saved as a result of things like Act 10 that's being reinvested into the schools. So people that were whining and complaining about that, well, okay, now you're, you're seeing that money that is put back in. By any objective measure, life in Wisconsin is pretty darn good if you measure that by the economy. Then you've got the issue of Foxconn, and even though you have some of the Democrats who are running against Walker saying Foxconn is terrible, what you have is you you have potentially a game changer with thousands and thousands of of jobs. Now, it might turn out that Foxconn is going to be a bad deal. I don't think that's the case, but, you know, we won't know that for 10 or 15 years. Short term, I, I think things are really, really, really good in this state, and it certainly gives Governor Walker a strong basis to run for Re-election. All right. Now, so what's what's the issues? What could cost Walker potentially the election? Well, all right, you, you have all this talk of the blue wave. You have people who are upset with President Trump, and there's this enthusiasm gap, and Democrats are going to run to come out and vote against anybody that has an R after their name. And I understand that, again, if you look at some of the special election results, you, you can see where that is coming from. So, um, today, Governor Walker at the Midwest Conservative Summit that's going on says that, well, you know, he expects that President Trump is going to visit the state to campaign. He says, look, if, if he's here, and I imagine he is going to be here for a U.S. Senate candidate, um, you know, sure, I'd, I'd, I'd be with him. You know, he's resisting these suggestions that, um, I'm, that he's going to distance himself from Trump. He says, I would welcome the chance for the president to come to the state and make the case for what's going on. I'd certainly welcome the fact that when you talk about Foxconn and other big employers coming in, he played a role in that. I think it's a good thing for him to come to the state and to talk about it. Walker specifically says, um, you know, there's this New York Times article that appeared over the weekend that says that I, I told people that he's unlikely to campaign with the president. He says, no, that's that's not true. He said, what? What we need to do is we need to get our conservative-leaning voters motivated to vote, and we need to get them, you know, out to vote. And he says, look, I'm going to vote. I'm going to run on my own credentials. I'm going to run on what we have accomplished in Wisconsin, and I'm going to run on what I want to do moving forward. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I can't tell you what's going to happen in Florida or Texas. I, I don't know what's going to happen across the country. I don't have enough information right now to make a prediction as to whether the Republicans can, can, will continue to you know, control the House or the Senate. But I will say, when it comes to the stuff that is going on in Wisconsin and the people that we have, whether they're running for Congress or whether it's Scott Walker really at the top of the ticket. I I think that the Republican office holders are going to survive any sort of national blue wave. And I think, you know, given what is going on, um, whether President Trump comes in or not, the reality is people, the Republicans, shouldn't run away from President Trump. But, you know, we have a great story. They have a great story to tell in Wisconsin and whether the Trump campaigns for him or not, I think Scott Walker has got a lot of stuff going for him. 414-799-1620. I really seriously doubt, blue wave or not, I understand what happened in the Supreme Court election a month ago. I do not see a blue wave sweeping over Republican office holders in 2018, at least in Wisconsin. 
414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think voters are going to be motivated. I think they're going to turn out. I would not be surprised to see lots and lots of voters turn out. But I don't think that that's something that people need to be concerned about one way or the other. I think Scott Walker is going to merit and run this election on his own merits. And I think if he does that, he's going to be just fine. Mike in Madison. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, good morning. Hi, Mike. I think that if he runs on his own accord, I think he does win. I mean, it's really hard to debate the benefits to the economy. And then even socially, I think he's been a positive outside of Madison. Um, I think if he gets too snugly with Trump, though, people like me who are never Trumpers uh, right. may just not show up to vote. Yeah, well, I, I, I think I, he's too uh, smart for that. I mean, I, I think, it, it, you know, I think Scott Walker will walk that tightrope between saying, hey, look, there's a lot of there's a lot of people who voted for Donald Trump in 2016. I want them to vote for me. But I, I don't necessarily see them joining at, at the hip. Um, yeah, but he already has those votes, I think. He already has the Trump votes. I think he loses the non-Trump conservative vote if he gets too close to him. I really do. Well, and I, I mean, I understand what you're saying, Mike. I don't, I don't see him as getting "quote unquote" too close to him. I, I mean, I think, I think Walker is going to run as his own guy. I, I think Walker is going to say, "Look, I mean, I will praise President Trump when I think he deserves being praised." Um, at the same time. When I think he's wrong, like I thought, this is Walker, I, I think he's wrong on, on tariffs. I think, you know, getting into a trade war, that's going to hurt, you know, Harley Davidson. It's going to hurt cranberry farmers. I'm going to encourage the president to reconsider that. I'm, I'm going to, I, I'm going to run as my own guy. And I think that's, you know, one of the keys to success. And I, I think Walker is going to be fine at, at walking that sort of, of tightrope. Um, He's going to be campaigning on his own merits, but at the same time, I think it would be naive to think that if President Trump's going to come in here and, and do a rally and he's going to try to raise money or help out, you know, whoever comes out of the Republican Senate primary. I, I mean, I think it would be foolish for the governors to say, OK, well, I'm not going to make an appearance at this. I, I, that just to me ends up making no sense. I also think, again, I think a lot of the negativism, negativism towards Trump I think there's going to start to be a backlash, and I think you're already starting to see it, where a lot of people say, okay, enough is enough. This Trump derangement syndrome, it's kind of, it's getting out of control, just like we saw that in the recall election, the Walker derangement syndrome that I think just went completely off the tracks and turned off a lot of people. Jerry in Appleton. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Oh, hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking the call. You stole my thunder Oops. there just a little bit at the end because I was going to compare this to the Walker derangement syndrome of uh, 2012 during that recall election. Right. The left always overreaches. You probably saw about this dinner on uh, Saturday night. This right. media dinner. You probably discussed that already. I just kind of turned in right now. But, yeah, I yeah, I think Governor Walker, uh, because of the type of year that it is, that it is the Democrats are very, very energized. Uh, I think it makes it a little tougher this year, and we would be, we need to be uh, we need to be on guard. But uh, uh, I'm Governor Walker's campaign coordinator here in Outagamie County, and I was with him up in Green Bay about three weeks ago. And I said, I said, and Governor Walker has been forewarning us to, to be on guard of the blue wave. And I said, well, my motto in Outagamie County is confident but not complacent. Yeah. Well, no. No, Jerry, and, and, and that's it. I mean, if, if people, I mean, if people, regardless of whether it's Scott Walker or anybody, if people get complacent, 
I mean, that's where problems happen. But I, I just see, I, I don't see that happening here in Wisconsin. And the truth is, you know, Wisconsin, which has been a laboratory for conservative issues over the course of, you know, the last seven or eight years, we, we are different. We are different than other states. And again, I, go ahead. Well, I'm, I don't mean to, I just yes, going to say but what one of your previous callers just said. He's got the record to run on. I mean, our numbers here in Wisconsin are off the charts. Our unemployment rate is below 3%, yep. which has never happened before. Uh, this is the first, okay? Uh, anybody that wants to get a job and is capable, capable of getting a job in Wisconsin can find one and a good-paying job at, at that, you know. So, um you know, wage growth. I, I think we were named like number one in the country uh, not too long ago in wage growth, you know, not just in the Midwest, but, you know, so, I mean, our, you know, everything, the needle is very much pointing up. And well, right. And I mean, and thanks for coming. Now, of course, I mean, there, there's some people who don't want to hear that or don't focus on that. Um, and, and I mean, I've seen wave elections. You know, we've talked about 1994, wave election for the Republicans, 2008. Um, you could have had the best Republican candidate in the world and, and they weren't they weren't going to win. Um, they just they just weren't. This might turn out to be a wave election, but I don't think it's going to be as much as some of the pundits are predicting. But the bottom line is, I think from the perspective of Wisconsin candidates, whether it's Kevin Nicholson or Leah Vukmir or Scott Walker or you know any of the other candidates who are going to be running in what we'd call the down ballot races, I mean, I, I think you know Wisconsin is different and you know they need to talk about all the things that have been accomplished over the course of the last you know 8 years that's where it makes a difference and i think if they do that you know if donald trump comes into campaign you know for a senate candidate or whatever of course governor walker is going to be you know with him but governor walker's already made it clear hey when i agree with the president i'm going to i'm going to agree with him um when i disagree with him again like tariffs i i'm going to say that I'm going to be my own man, and that's what I think Wisconsinites like. 246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 250, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I have a rule which has served me, well, I don't know well, but it's been my rule for the 20-plus the years here at WTMJ and the 23 years I've been doing a radio show in this market. And it's it's the rule is that I don't care if every talk show host in the country is talking about something if I don't find it to be an interesting story, I'm I'm not going to talk about it because it just doesn't it doesn't make that much difference to me. And there's a story like that that again I'm not going to take calls on or anything, but it, it broke over the weekend, and I was just in one newspaper after another or one talking head show after another. There was all this outrage, and it was like really people care about this. And I'm talking about the decision to replace the House chaplain. All right, Paul Ryan is, of course, the Speaker of the House. And apparently a couple weeks ago, he went to the guy who'd been serving as the House chaplain for about seven years, and he said, oh, we're going to replace you. And, and th- this wasn't a big deal that was made out of it. The guy is now apparently, the, the priest has gone public. Oh, you know what, this is, I, I wanted to stay. And now there's all these screaming headlines. Oh, this is political, and people are trying to figure it out. And there was this one thing after another saying at the time of the, the tax discussion, he gave some prayer, which you know some people interpreted as being kind of political and all that type of stuff. And it's back and forth. And I guess none of this interested me, and, and it, other than sort of in the, the Washington bubble, let's try to politicize this. Well, well now... I mean, Ryan, Paul Ryan is coming out and he's saying, look, this, this wasn't, this wasn't political. The guy had been the house chaplain for a number of years. He said a number of lawmakers had come up to me 
and they had said, you know, we want somebody in this chaplain's role that could offer more spiritual counseling. Okay, so I mean, it was just like you know, we we had some people who were saying, you know, we're, we're not getting what we think we need from from the chaplain. And the, this guy had been the current chaplain, had been there for seven years. The person behind it before him had been there for eleven years. And so, in response to you know, we, we'd like to you know, we'd like to change it up. So Paul Ryan says, "Okay, fine, we're we're going to change it up." It's not like the guy's no longer going to be a Catholic priest or anything like that. He assume he's going to be reassigned by the church and somebody else is going to come in. But it's this hysteria that's out there. Oh, this has got to be politics. And you've got people on the left that are outraged. And you've got one story after another. New York Times from Saturday. Firing of House Chaplain causes uproar on Capitol Hill. And again, you've got you know the, the press that's going out and trying to stir up issues. And what do you think about this? Paul Ryan, this is the uh, way USA Today had it. Speaker Paul Ryan faces outrage after ousting Catholic House chaplain. And, of course, some of the stories are, gee, you know, is it because this guy might have been more liberal than Paul Ryan that this is it? And, you know, Ryan's response is he'd been there for a number of years. And, you know, some people were saying, you know, maybe we want something more or somebody different in this role. So I did it. Um, I, yes, it's not a political type of thing. Now, some people will not believe it, and some people will try to say this is going to be the cause celeb. But, I mean, do we really care at the end of the day who the House chaplain is? And is it really worth anybody losing any sleep one way or the other? Like I say, it's not like the guy's being drummed out of the priesthood. He'll go to another assignment. They'll get some different spiritual counselor to help members of Congress. And the sun will, in fact, set tonight and come up tomorrow despite what some of the talking heads might have you believe. It's 2.54. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure and Melissa Barkley and Greg Matzik have on their minds with Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.